2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/host.
3: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.
4: They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following podcast contains explicit language and content that may not be suitable for all listeners.
0: From ID and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, a seven-part podcast. We're going to show you that everything you think you know about the Long Island serial killer investigation is wrong. Hi, Billy. Hi, Alexis. Welcome to Ep7. Yes, we are finally here, our last episode.
4: I know it's crazy that this is our last one. This journey has been so long, but for those of you listening, if you've enjoyed Unraveled and you want to hear more from Billy and I, please be on the lookout for our next installment of Unraveled, which will be coming soon. It's another crazy story. It's completely different than the one you've heard, but equally shocking, amazing, fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's completely different. It can be Couldn't be any more different, but it's it's there are so so much similar elements to it, and there will be a lot of jaw-dropping moments like you had in this one.
4: So make sure you subscribe, and that way you won't miss it. But for now, we still have this episode and lots more to talk about when it comes to the Long Island serial killer. So I want to start by saying we've covered a lot of ground since episode one and that interview we did with Chris that got us started on this wild journey. Yeah,
0: and I don't know how many people that we interviewed, but we interviewed a lot, you know, probably over three dozen people. And that's because there was just so much to the story.
4: So much. And to be honest, we would need another seven hours to go through all of it. We spent a lot of time talking about Chief James Burke, former Suffolk County Police Chief. And by now you understand how he and former District Attorney Tom Spoda took several actions that were very damaging to the Long Island serial killer investigation. And we believe these actions ultimately prevented this case from being solved years ago when it could have been. For every shocking story we heard about James Burke, there was another more shocking story that followed. Some of these stories we couldn't even corroborate, so for legal reasons, we're unable to share them with you. I wish we
0: could. Of course, the one person we want to speak to the most is James Burke himself. And before the end of this episode... You'll hear what happens when we try.
4: So, with that being said, thank you for sticking around for our final episode and to wrap up our investigation into the investigation. We certainly have new context and insight into why this case hasn't been solved. But questions remain. So who do we think did it?
0: In order to learn about the killer, we need to address the victim's. And we're going to separate the 10 victims by the Gilgo Four, the Manorville Two, and the four unidentified. And we'll explain which of those we believe are connected to each other.
4: So let's start with the Gilgo Four, who have the most in common with one another. We know that in life, the four victims, Maureen, Melissa, Megan, and Amber, all had very similar body types. They were just about five feet tall and all very petite. We also know they advertised on Craigslist, each of them. We know they were contacted via phone, all went missing within the summer months. So there is a pattern that's obvious here.
0: We know that they were evenly spaced out 500 yards apart in a row on the north side of Ocean Parkway along Gilgo Beach. For a long time, it's been widely reported that the Gilgo Four were all found wrapped in burlap. However, one of our sources gave us a never-before-heard tip that that isn't necessarily true.
4: Remember what Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart said to you about the burlap during your interview with her?
0: There's a few things that, when we're talking about releasing information, early on in the investigation, there was a leak that the women were found in burlap. And it was a strategic link to try and see who might be related to burlap you know maybe it's a fisherman maybe it's a gardener or something like that were you aware that that was a leak
5: i'm aware and i continue to hold to the fact that we've never officially discussed that piece
4: so she basically confirmed yes we've never said conclusively that the gilgo four victims were wrapped in burlap and that's actually a thing that's pretty commonly known, like anyone who knows this case believes that those four victims were wrapped in burlap. And on top of that, the Suffolk County Police Department refuses to release more information so even when the public wants to help, they're unable to because they don't have the information to do so. Which begs the question, once again, why won't they release more information?
0: Then we have the four unidentified remains that were found along Ocean Parkway. Fire Island Doe, Asian male. Peaches and her toddler. And we still don't know their names. We don't know their identities. And everything about them seems so different. Like, they couldn't have been killed by the same person. But when we were there, our perception changed. And this is from the first time that we drove Ocean Parkway together, me and Alexis. So we're driving down uh, Robert Moses Causeway, we're heading in towards Ocean Parkway. I mean, think about it, let's say the killer was coming from this area. Look at all the places that they could have stopped along this road.
4: Well, this is still pretty populous. Like, it's prior to the bridge, it's, it's still where all the junctions are, and there's a bunch of exits here, so you wouldn't do it here. When you're here, you understand the single killer theory a lot better. Like, this is such a specific area that you understand it a lot more if you see it. Because right. it looks long on a map, right? It looks far away, like, it, oh, they're really not that close to each other. But the, the boldness of dumping here at all doesn't seem like something many people would have. You know what I mean? I like, it is such a yeah. specific place, and it is risky, So you just understand the single killer theory a lot
0: more. I completely agree. Now there are examples of multiple killers using the same dumping grounds. The killing fields in Texas, 25 acres bordering Calder Oil Field near Interstate 45. 30 bodies have been found there since 1971. 71 to 73, nine teenage girls were found there. From 81 to 86, six teens and young women were found there. Then four bodies of teenage girls from 96 97. 25 acres of land, multiple serial killers. They just liked that spot. Now, when it comes to Peaches and the toddler, you know, Peaches was a case that I had covered in, I think, 2002. And the fact that it's connected to this case and that there's a toddler involved just shook me to my core. There are so many different aspects to the Peaches case than the other victims. Peaches was black. Peaches was connected to a baby. Part of Peaches was found in uh, Hempstead Lake State Park in a tub, in like a Rubbermaid tub, Different, so many different things than these other victims.
4: So while I'm reluctant to connect peaches to the others, a torso in one location, Hempstead Lake Park, and then a, an identifying feature of peaches and identifying, you know, it's a baby. I, I don't know how to, to yeah, explain this. It's It's awful. It's sickening. But to put the baby on Ocean Parkway is in line and on par with what happened with the Manorville 2. Yeah. And and that's why I'm so reluctant to say they're not connected because it's, it's so specific. And it seems like a very early MO and Peaches was even before them. Yes. All right. Moving on to the Manorville 2, Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor. We really do think the key to the investigation might lie in Manorville. And here's why. We have the body parts found in Ocean Parkway. They are connected to the torsos that were found in Manorville. Jessica, Taylor, and Valerie Mack were both white and petite.
0: Yeah, and just like the Gilgo Four, they went missing in the summer. They were dismembered, and they were discarded in two different places. And for that reason, we originally thought that the Manorville Two were not killed by the same killer as the Gilgo Four. But looking at the evidence and actually standing on both locations... Yeah, we sort to of feel differently.
4: So let's go back to when we walked the woods in Manorville to see this location for ourselves.
0: We just drove about three miles without seeing any other road. And now we see an intersection and this is where he decides to park and drop off her torso. Somebody would have known these roads, would have had been on these roads before to know this is here, especially in the dark.
4: Then, Presumably, the killer of Valerie Mack would live not too far from here. You know what I mean? Because you wouldn't...
0: As a reminder, the torsos of Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor were dumped in this manorville location in 2000 and 2003, respectively. And in both cases, the remains were found not long after the victims were killed. However, in each case, the identifying parts, the head and the hands were found along Ocean Parkway, and they were not discovered until the search for Shannon Gilbert commenced in 2010. This proved that Ocean Parkway was a much more reliable and a much more secret place to dump remains than in Manorville. Serial killers do change their M.O. Serial killers get complacent. Joel Rifkin, the most famous of Long Island serial killers started very cautious. His first murder was Heidi Balch. He killed her at his house in East Meadow, dismembered her body. He put her head minus her teeth in a paint bucket and left it on a golf course in Hopewell, New Jersey. He dumped her torso minus fingertips in the East River and her legs were found in a creek near Jefferson Township, New Jersey. His next victims were found in the Hudson, the East River, Coney Island Creek, and Patterson, New Jersey.
4: By the time Joel Rifkin was disposing of his 14th victim, he didn't go through the trouble of driving to New Jersey or New York or dismembering them. He dumped the bodies hole on Long Island, which is where he lived. So obviously we see that serial killers often change their M.O. in terms of body disposal based on convenience, based on their ability to not get caught, and based on sort of their comfort in being this serial killer. So they are very... Um, they're arrogant. So when they don't get caught several times, they'll just do less work and just lean into that arrogance a little more.
0: Absolutely. So saying that it's not the same guy because of the dismemberment is just plain wrong. We really think all six, the Gilgo Four plus the Manorville Two, are more than likely connected to one killer.
4: Right. And we can't forget about Shannon Gilbert. So many people think there's no way that Shannon could be connected to the others because she brought a driver with her and her client that night ultimately cooperated with the police. Here's
0: John Ray, the Gilbert family attorney.
1: I believe that Shannon indubitably is connected to the other victims. They were all sex workers. They were all more or less in the same level of sex work in their lives. They were all found in the same area. They were all found laying on top of the soil, not buried within it. Um, And they're all consistent in the sense that they're not from the everyday community who happened to be staying, hanging out in a bar and then got picked up and left. Every one of them was contacted through an agency or, a, or an advertisement made by these, these uh, girls.
4: Well, I was on the fence personally about whether or not Shannon was connected. I, I'm suddenly finding it very interesting That she's so close to these other murdered sex workers that meet all these variables. And those parallels to the Gilgo Four are worth looking harder at and and worth giving more weight. Absolutely. Now, before we get into suspects, let's talk through some of the theories that can help us narrow the search for this killer.
0: Through the course of our investigation, we posed the single double killer theory to many of our subjects. When we were on Long Island, I asked Commissioner Hart if she had a stance on the subject. It's not clear if there's a Suffolk County prevailing theory at this point. One killer, two killers, multiple killers. Why is that?
5: So that's another piece, uh, really, when I came over. Uh, it, was, it was interesting to me how, uh, how the district attorney at the time, uh, Spoda, and the commissioner at the time, Dormer, really locked in on the theory, uh, which was at complete odds with one another. Um, and it was really based solely on speculation. So to me, I didn't think it was helpful at all to really uh, you know, turn off your, your thinking to every other possibility and lock in on, on one theory of the case. I don't see where that's helpful. So there's certainly arguments to be made, uh, strong arguments for both. But, uh, but one thing that we've done as, as a team together is to really to keep an open mind and make sure that we are simply following the evidence wherever it leads.
0: Now let's hear from the former chief of detectives for Suffolk County during the investigation, Dominic Verone.
6: I agree with what the commissioner is now saying and what the law enforcement people are now saying. All theories are open, and this gets back to the whole controversy between uh, the district attorney Spoda making his theory of it's multiple killers, and uh, Dormer saying uh, commissioner Dormer saying it's one. I think they're both right. It's unlikely that one person killed all of those people, but it certainly is possible.
4: So, as far as actually making a determination and forming an opinion on whether there is one killer or multiple killers involved in this case, the truth is it's kind of impossible given the limited information that we have. If Suffolk County Police Department chose to release more information, we may be able to hypothesize a little bit more accurately, but her hands are kind of tied there. But I will say that when I left L.A. to go to Long Island to start this investigation, I thought there was no way in hell it could be a single killer. But once we got there, my mind and my opinion on that really started to shift. And um, I'm leaning farther in that direction than I ever expected to.
0: So next, we want to talk about where the killer might possibly live and what they might do for a living. Now we know the women went missing in the summer. The six known women, the ones that we know their identities, went missing in the summer. This is a beach community. Could the killer have rented a summer beach house? Or potentially was he a full-time resident? Detective Verone, who was the head of detectives at the time, believes the killer had these women for a prolonged period of time. He believes that he actually tortured these women.
6: You know, again, I hate to speculate, but you're asking me, and and there's no harm because so many other people have speculated. But, you know, I think he, well, I think it's a house. I think he has it to himself. So I think he's a loner, or he certainly was alone during the time that that he took these women, and I think he had his way with them. And I think he was able to prolong the agony with them for probably more than one day.
0: Now, does this mean that the killer would need to live somewhere remote in order to have the isolation required for something like that? And then there's also the idea about driving the bodies in your car. Does that mean he lived close, or did he take a real risk of being pulled over with a dead body by driving far away?
4: So, um, Former chief of detectives, Dominic Verone, talked about the killer needing to be someone who wouldn't seem out of place parked along the desolate road.
6: I think he had a reason to be out here, and he certainly had to have a good excuse if he got caught in the middle of this, if a police officer stopped him. Uh, You know, again, this is speculation, which I hate to do, but... I like this, the idea of someone who has a reason to be here and he felt very comfortable here. And, you know, a parks worker who was hired seasonally to work in, in, in any of the beaches, um, somebody who cut the grass, the state hired employees to pick up the garbage along the uh, grass. Any of those people would have an excuse, a good excuse to be here. And they also would have the ability to, to go back and check on their victims and, and relive the crime, so to speak.
4: So the idea here is, is that somebody didn't feel worried about their vehicle being pulled over on the side of the road. So is it a service vehicle? Is it a law enforcement vehicle? Is it, you know, somebody... Is it a mail delivery truck? It's got to be something that belongs on the side of a road that doesn't, doesn't draw attention at all. There's a lot of um, ambiguity in terms of like what this guy could be doing. We're being very pragmatic and practical about thinking like, it must be a service worker. This dude could be so crazy. He could have rolled up in some other vehicle. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And of course, speculation, that's all we're doing, but... We can never underestimate the mind of a psychopath who wants to kill because they will do anything.
0: They will do anything to feed that need. So let's look back at the victims themselves and what they can tell us about the psychology of the killer slash killers. We know the victims were small in stature. Is this a power thing or a practicality thing? Maybe the killer isn't the tallest or the strongest. Maybe he picked victims he knew he could overpower. Or maybe it was just a fetish thing. Maybe their petite size is what attracted him. And we also have one victim that was born with male genitalia. It was the Asian male found in women's clothing. And he was brutally bludgeoned to death. Could that victim have been a trans sex worker in the 90s? Did the killer get surprised and perhaps enraged when he discovered that this wasn't a biological woman, but in fact a sex worker with male genitalia? That's a possibility.
4: But it, it could all be BS. That's that's a, that's a I'm, really I'm literally pro- like projecting this my healthy brain's logic onto things that have no rhyme or reason to it.
1: Perhaps.
0: Yes. But we have more than theories. Now, over the last 10 years, several suspects have been talked about. And after the break, we're going to dig into those suspects. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
3: Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, What do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response. And after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com unraveled. That's storyworth.com unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase.
4: So we've talked about the theories, and now we're going to look at specific suspects. It's a real-life game of Clue. Could these individuals have killed some or all of these women? Did they have means, motive, and opportunity? So let's dive in. Let's start with suspect number one, and his name is John Bitroff. He's a carpenter, a homeowner, and a married father of two boys. But today, John Bitroff stood in court as an accused serial killer. Bitroff is a convicted serial killer. And both of his victims that he was convicted of killing were sex workers. So there's a parallel right there. He did his killings on Long Island. His victims were all found in the early 90s, but he wasn't connected until 2013.
0: And this left him out and about. Maybe he was free to commit the List murders. And if in fact he did do it, here's the thing that really makes me and Alexis look at him harder. He lived in Manorville. So if you've been paying attention, Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor, their torsos were found in Manorville and their body parts were found in Oak Beach.
4: So of course, given our curiosities and all we've done so far, we wanted to try at least to talk to Rolf
0: ourselves. Hey, Billy. John Manley, how are you? So I understand that you uh, represented or you do represent John Bittroff. I do. Okay. Well, we are out here doing a seven-part podcast about Long Island Serial Killer, Suffolk Police, how they've conducted the investigation, and we would like to interview Mr. Bittroff.
2: What is it in reference
0: to? It's a reference to Gilgo and the Long Island serial killer investigation. The two victims, Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor, found in Manorville, and their body parts found in uh, along Gilgo Beach. And his name has just come up numerous times in our reporting, and we would like to speak to the source then. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll speak to him. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Billy. I, pro- I can't imagine any scenario where I'll have him talk to anybody about anything. Bitrolf declined to speak with us, but Lex, how do you feel about Bitrolf as a suspect?
4: Well, I've said this several times. I uh, I think because Bitrolf, you have to understand, Bitrolf is behind bars. Uh, when he was arrested, certainly, they had um, warrants to search his house, his property, his computers. They, If they had focused on him as a serial killer, which they believe him to be, they did the due diligence to check his employment records check where he was when he was there i think they've done very uh, meticulous accounting of bitroff's whereabouts i think if it was bitroff we'd know it was bitroff by now truthfully like maybe not the earlier victims Maybe where the technology was scant, like 2004, 2000, 90s, like maybe, maybe they can't prove that.
0: And Bitrolf would have been the most amazing scapegoat if there was a police conspiracy. You know what I mean? If there was people within the police department that were doing bad things, you have this guy that was just recently connected to two sex workers being murdered. Let's pin it, pin uh, Gilgo on him. Now, Bitrolf has said that, yes, his, uh, his semen was found inside those victims, but uh, that, was, that was sex that he had uh, as, a, as a customer. He did not kill them. So that, that is his uh, defense that he's sticking to.
4: And they clearly, as of now, have not found profound enough connections or evidence to indict him on murders related to the Long Island serial killer. So my instinct is to say that he probably didn't do it. But maybe he's just that good. So it's certainly possible that he did, not ruling anything out.
0: So suspect number two is James Bissett.
4: So Bissette, he's kind of a lesser known suspect to the, the broader public, but he was one that was connected to Shannon Gilbert. So according to John Ray, Shannon was a client of Bissett's and had connections to Oak Beach as well, and also to James Burke, and to some of our star players. So he is interesting in that way. So James Bissett also committed suicide two days after Shannon's remains were found. And a lot of people were sort of intrigued by him as a possibility because he owned a garden nursery. And, and the nursery specifically um, connects him to this burlap connection that we, we hear over and over again in terms of in relation to the Gilgo Four.
0: And his connection, you know, that he was a client of Shannon's. He commits suicide two days after Shannon's remains are found. Uh, It's strange. It's weird. But there's nothing really else that connects him to that other than that burlap. Suspect number three. Is Peter Hackett.
4: Right. So for those of you who are familiar with the list case, one of the most well-known suspects is Hackett. And he's a suspect for several reasons. Because of his odd behavior, the days following Shannon Gilbert's disappearance. Dr. Peter Hackett called Shannon's mother and lied about the fact that he ran a home for Wayward girls and that he had recently taken care of Shannon and that she was, quote-unquote, okay when interrogated by the police. Hackett completely denied it until phone records proved that he had, in fact, called Mary Gilbert. And also the fact that many believe that he's either responsible for Shannon's death or knows way more than he's willing to say. So John Ray, the Gilbert family attorney, is convinced that Hackett is his man.
1: The evidence can be overwhelmingly pointing to one individual. I say it points to Peter Hackett. Hackett called Mary Gilbert and told Mary Gilbert that he had Shannon in his home, that he ran a home for wayward girls. That is evidence of his guilt.
0: Hackett has always stood out as a suspicious guy. But could he have killed Shannon and the others?
4: Well... My opinion is he's certainly an odd duck but we can't ignore the fact that he's on the periphery of the Suffolk County Police Department that he lives in Oak Beach which is in proximity to both Shannon and close proximity to the Gilgo Four and the other body parts and he called Mary and made up a lie so we know he's a liar. I just think there uh, Hackett is a hard person to ignore. Because I don't think a, uh, an innocent person acts the way he did. Absolutely. For the record, John Bitrolf and Peter Hackett have denied being connected to the Long Island serial killings. We've reached out to them, either directly or through their attorneys. But neither of them responded to our request for a comment.
0: So, suspects number four. And I say suspects for a reason. Because there are theories out there that these murders may have been orchestrated by a group...
4: John Ray, as a reminder, heard Shannon's 911 call. And on that call, she can be heard saying, they're trying to kill me. Not he is trying to kill me, but they. And we've only been told about, you know, Joseph Brewer, who was her, you know, John that night, being present. And it's hard to believe that Shannon would think her her bodyguard, Michael Pack, her driver, was also trying to kill her. So if it's not Michael Pack, if it's not Joseph Brewer, who is the they that Shannon is referring to? And could there have been other participants present that night? What did she say on the 911 call? Because that, that had been released prior to it being released right. to you. I'll, you I'll do it
1: this way. Yeah. The Suffolk County Police Department and the Medical Examiner's Office both said that Shannon said on the tape, they're trying to kill me. I'm able to confirm that the, the police said the words and the medical examiner said the words that Shannon said they're trying to kill me. They are not the exact words that Shannon said and uh, it's not the only time she said it. That I can confirm because they've, they, they put it out there that this was, this was on the tape but it's it's not quite accurate. And it does matter. The difference matters. And it also matters to whom she said it, about whom as well. They never discussed that. That's very important in this case.
0: So that brings us to yet another suspect, which could be somebody unknown, unknown person or persons. Of course it could be a killer, that none of us have ever heard of. One or more people who benefited from Burke's shutting down of the Lisk investigation, you know, with time gone, memories have faded, witnesses have died, and hard evidence will be harder and harder to come by. It could be somebody that is not on our radar at all. So where does this leave us?
4: It leaves us tracking down the one person who's become the center of our investigation. The one person we've been wanting to talk to.
0: Looking for James Burke after the break.
4: So, you guys know we've taken a hard look at Burke.
0: Yes. Our podcast has obviously focused a lot on Burke as being responsible for botching the Long Island serial kill investigation. But did he kill the investigation just to hide his sexual habits or because he might be directly connected to the murders.
4: So let's talk then through the Burke saga, because everybody's going to ask, do you really think he's a suspect? Do you really think he could have done it? And here's at least where I stand on this. I think that Burke is capable I think that Burke has a proclivity towards sex workers. I think he, when he was in the first precinct, I think Oak Beach was a part of his, you know, jurisdiction as um, somewhere he was patrolling. I think there's a lot of red flags that tether Burke to Oak Beach and also to the investigation for obvious reasons. But I think, I think the thing is about Burke, which doesn't um, look good for him is that there are so many coincidences.
0: Yeah. So we have a guy who is a sex addict. He's interested in snuff films. He's frequented sex workers. Oh, by the way, when he was made chief of police... He kicked the feds out of the investigation of Gilgo Beach.
4: Like, is everybody okay with this number of coincidences? Because I'm uncomfortable with that.
0: <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, and, and that's one of the things that I found myself, and I, I actually never really used this language before, but I asked both Ballone and Hart this, are you comfortable with the fact, and I've never used that before, are you comfortable with the fact that your former chief of police is a suspect in the Long Island serial killer case? That that idea that being comfortable—no, you can't be comfortable with it because that's messed up. And I've never heard of it before. That that a chief of police of a giant uh, uh, police force was actually a suspect in the in a series of murders. It just doesn't happen. Throughout this series, we ask the question. Why was James Burke put forward as a candidate for the chief of police position, given all the indiscretions of his past? Who knew the truth about Burke, but failed to speak up? In 2012, an anonymous letter was delivered to county executive Steve Ballone, which called attention to Burke's shady record, notably a very damning internal affairs report from 1995. But Burke was appointed as chief anyway, based in part on a recommendation from D.A. Tom Spoda. In the past few weeks, we were able to obtain a copy of James Burke's entire personnel file with the Suffolk County Police Department. In it was a bombshell.
4: Right. And Burke's file is a one-page document from the 1995 Internal Affairs investigation. Remember, that's when he got busted for, among other things, having sex with Loretta Rickenbacker, a sex worker, in his police vehicle. Well, this document is basically him agreeing to plead guilty to conduct unbecoming an officer and agreeing to give up 15 sick or vacation days for his punishment. That we all know, but it's what follows that's shocking. In item number three, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, quote, Sergeant Burke specifically acknowledges that he consulted with his attorney, Thomas J. Spoda Esquire, prior to executing this document and is voluntarily submitting to its terms, end quote. All right, so Spoda was Burke's attorney in the 1995 internal affairs investigation.
0: Proof positive that Spoda knew about Burke's shady past. He concealed it and continued to help Burke climb the ranks all the way to chief of police. Evidence of their web of deceit in black and white. So Lex, we've come this far, and although we could go on and talk to 100 more people about this case, about the corruption in Suffolk County, and the cover-ups that we know about, it was time to talk to the person at the center of our investigation. Hello? My name is Billy Jensen. I'm a uh, journalist and producer, and I'm looking for the lawyer, John Marangolo. This
6: is he. Can I help you?
0: Yes, I understand that you represent James Burke, the former Suffolk County Police uh, Chief.
6: That is correct, yes.
0: We are doing a seven-part podcast and a um, two-hour TV special. And James Burke has become a major focus of uh, the story that we're telling. And we really would like to sit down with Mr. Burke and get his side of the story. Can we set that up? No, he has a civil case pending and I couldn't let him do that. Okay. I mean, we've heard some pretty explosive things about him. You know, from from multiple sources. Be careful what you do. What do you mean? I don't know. I would be careful. What do you mean by be careful? He's just not interested, that's for sure. Okay, but what do you mean by. No, I, I would, you know, make sure you. No, make sure the sources are correct, you know? Mm hmm. Sure, of course. That's what you do in journalism. Yeah, if you get if you get sources from multiple places. But you know, we've heard a a lot of things, and we definitely would like uh, to sit down and talk with him. Can I give you my number? He's not going to do it. Uh, No, thank you. He's not going to do it. You have a good day. You too.
4: Billy and I didn't want to stop there. We tracked down Burke's home address. It's actually the same house you heard about in episode one, where Chris stole the duffel bag out of Burke's unmarked police vehicle.
0: Uh, my name is Billy Jensen. I'm a journalist looking for James Burke. He
6: doesn't live
0: here. He doesn't live here. Do you know where he does live? I'm sorry, what was that?
4: It was clear to us that it was James Burke on the other side of that door. It was also
0: clear he wasn't about to open up. Okay, wait, well, tell you what, I'm gonna leave my phone number. If you could give it to him, that'd be great. I mean, he could be renting the house, and it could be a family member No, that sounded like him. It did sound like him.
4: I mean, this is where he's always
0: lived. There's a really, really good possibility that this guy has done a lot more things that we don't know about, and he would just rather stay in a house with the lights off and not answer the door. Burke never came out to talk
4: to us, and to date, he's yet to call. For the record, through his attorney, James Burke has denied having anything to do with the Lisk murders.
0: So we'll address him directly here on this platform. James Burke, we'd still like to talk to you and get your side of this story. So consider it an open invitation. We hope one day to hear from you.
4: Until Burke answers the multitude of questions swirling around him, speculation about his involvement in these murders won't go away.
0: So now what? Where do we go from here? At the end of the day, we have 11 bodies found along Ocean Parkway. People who had hopes and dreams and fears. And someone snatched them away and dumped their bodies or parts of their bodies along the beach on Long Island.
4: This begs the question, will we ever find out who killed Megan, Maureen, Amber, Melissa, Jessica, Valerie, Fire Island Doe, Asian Male Doe, Peaches, her toddler, and Shannon Gilbert. It's incumbent on all of us to stay hyper vigilant to keep asking these questions. To make sure not another 10 years pass with no answers. We'll do our part. We're not stopping. And if you can, you should do yours too. So if you have a tip, submit it through the Gilgonews.com website. You can also submit anonymous tips to the Suffolk County Police Department by calling Crime Stoppers at 1-800-220-TIPS. And if you'd like, send an email to us at unraveledtips at gmail.com. We'd like to thank everyone who agreed to be interviewed for this series, including those we didn't have time to include. We couldn't have done this in-depth investigation without you.
0: Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Koontz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. Executive producer for ID, Thomas Cutler. Additional producing and writing by Margaret Aronson and Leah Rothman. Our editor is Aaron Friccia. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Be on the lookout for the next installment of Unraveled coming soon. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy listening to.